What is up? You are listening to a Silver Screen and Roll podcast, and uh, if it's Monday and you're wondering why you're listening to my voice, it's because over the next month or so, Silver Screen and Roll is going to be doing some crossover podcasts uh, with myself, Christian Rivas, and I'm joined today by uh, one of the staff writers at Silver Screen and Roll, Sabrina Merchant. And Sabrina, I don't know if you can tell, but I am not Sasha. I, it's a good thing you pointed that out. It's very helpful. Because <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I didn't want to confuse you. I know um, I sound very similar to Sasha and vice versa. So just wanted to get that out of the way. Didn't, didn't want to fool you into thinking you were talking to somebody else. And uh, I think part of the reason we're doing these crossover episodes only three times a week, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays now, uh, is that we're getting to that point of the off season where, uh, there's a lot of news surrounding the Lakers every day, but it's it's mostly just little updates that probably aren't worth extending an hour talking about. Right. So we're just trying to mix things up a little bit, you know, have a little fun with the off-season process, and we're, you know, switching things around here at Silver Screen Roll. So. Yeah, and uh, fun is a really loose, like, I think you use that term loosely because... <laughs> I think we're going into week three that the Lakers don't have a president of basketball operations or head coach, uh, which isn't ideal. I mean, they've conducted, they've started conducting a search for a head coach, which is great because that's what functioning basketball teams do. Um, And it seems like they're getting into the thick of it, or at least they did this past week. Right. So we know the three main candidates. We've got Ty Lue, Monty Williams, and Jawan Howard. And it seems like there's been a bit of a separation, how two have, you know, moved ahead of the pack, right? Yeah, almost definitely. And I, yeah. I think we should mention, even though it's not particularly relevant, that Jason Kidd also interviewed for the job. But it, it seemed like it was more of a favor to his agent, like, or at least his agency. Like when Brandon Ingram's up for an extension uh, next season, hopefully they look back at that Jason Kidd interview and think like, <laughs> you know what? They're really willing to do anything for, for for our team. So we should we should do the same for them. Yeah. Um, Give that for uh, XL Sports. <laughs> <laughs> let's hope. Uh, let's hope he was never a serious candidate, though. Because my God, I don't think I could survive a season of covering a Jason Kidd Lakers team, let alone just a Jason Kidd team. Um, Until so, you brought yeah. it up, I had totally forgotten that that even happened. <laughs> uh, Monty Williams and Tyron Lue are the clear front runners right now, and. Uh, it seems like they each impress the Lakers in their own separate, separate way. And we'll start with Tyron Lue, uh, mo- it, in part because he's probably my favorite for the job. I don't have a problem with Monty. I think he's a good guy and he's established a rapport with a lot of big name players around the league. Uh, but my, my thing is, it's like, you have a guy that has proven he can win with LeBron James at the highest level. And then you have Monty Williams, uh, who hasn't had that much success as a head coach. And when he has, it's it's been with a group of players that kind of, uh, you know, overexceeded expectations. Like uh, with that New Orleans Pelicans teams he had in the final year before he was fired. I think it was 2015. Exactly. Um, yeah. It was Drew Holiday, Tyreek Evans, and a less than seasoned Anthony Davis. Um, and th- that team was, you know, a team, 
It's just it, when you compare that to the runs that Tyron Lue made at a title with the with LeBron James Cavs uh, and those teams. It's just I don't know. To me, it it's it's not much of a competition. Yeah, I think the choice is pretty clear. I mean, we knew coming in that year one of LeBron in Los Angeles was going to be a bit of a test period. We weren't sure how it was going to work out, and it was okay that Luke Walton was here as a relatively unseasoned head coach because we had some time to try to figure things out. But going into year two, it doesn't make sense to restart the clock. It's only logical to bring in somebody who has experience, not necessarily coaching LeBron James, but coaching a team that has made deep runs in the playoffs and someone who has the offensive acumen that Ty Lue does, which I still think is lacking in Monty Williams's regard. Yeah. And most definitely. Yeah, it just, I don't see why you'd want to, you know, take a lateral move in hiring Monty Williams when you could take what appears to be a clear step forward by hiring Ty Lue. I think the only real issue there is that they're, I don't know, the front office is afraid of seeming like they're too far in LeBron's pocket, but that doesn't seem like enough of a reason to me. Oh, uh, definitely not, because it's like... uh... They signed LeBron James knowing who LeBron James was. I'm hoping. I mean, <laughs> the the front office tandem of Magic Johnson and, and Rob Palenka, I'm not saying it would surprise me if they didn't know who LeBron James was until trade rumors started popping up about them. Uh, but, I mean, they knew what they were getting into. They knew LeBron's reputation for being that player, coach, general manager role. Um, and that's not to say that they should concede to LeBron's every word. I mean, I think they should because he's only under contract for at least two more years. And if they're trying to win with LeBron James and LeBron James knows how to win championships, you do what LeBron James says. Um, but I, it, that's not enough reason for me to, to hire who's clearly the best coaching candidate on the market uh, in Tyron Lou. And you can argue that you, you mentioned Tyron Lue's offensive acumen and you can argue that LeBron James did a lot of that heavy lifting, but Luke Walton also had LeBron James and the Lakers did not have a good offense um, this season, this past season with the Lakers. Um, so as, as much credit as LeBron James deserves, Tyron Lue deserves credit for putting the right players around him, putting him in the right offensive system because yeah, part of, the appeal to signing LeBron James was the fact that, you know, Ty, Ty Lue got the best of him going into his early 30s. Exactly. And the idea that LeBron is an offense in and of himself, like, kind of took a little bit of a hit with this Lakers season right. just because we weren't, you know, an above average offensive team. So clearly there needs to be some concessions made to, you know, get him in the right spaces, you know, put the right people around him and, those Cleveland teams were just tremendous on offense all four seasons. You know, even when Ty Lue was an offensive or an assistant coach that first season. Right. But I just, I can't stand watching LeBron just barrel into the lane and everybody's able to converge on him because there's no space on the floor. <laughs> I just, I don't, I can't watch another year of that. That's yeah. too much. And I think um, having, having Ty Lue's offense and our, our good friend uh, Pete Zayas at Laker film room did a really good video on this is, LeBron James isn't the only player that's going to co- uh, benefit from playing in Tyron Lue's offense. Like you look at a guy like Brandon Ingram playing out, uh, playing in a five out offense. One, it's going to encourage him to shoot more threes. One would hope. 
Uh, but it's also going to open up a lot of driving lanes for him. Like if the defenders are trying to close out on a six foot nine uh, dude, that's built like slender man when in a five out offense, it's, it's going to be really tough for him. And I, I think playing in a, an offensive scheme that allows Ingram to operate in a lot of space, that's going to open a lot of things up for him. And I think that's going to be key to him making that jump next season uh, when he hopefully comes back healthy. Absolutely. And I think what's, what's so interesting about this coaching search too, just to like take another step back is that, you know, we've heard all these rumors about how the Lakers are like a toxic organization and people are wary of coming to work for them because of all of the drama inside the front office. But like, it seems like Monty Williams and Ty Lue are really making an effort to stand out, you know, among each other. And they're they're trying to impress Rob Palenka to get this job, right? Like Ty Lue has already talked about bringing in like top quality assistants. Not that I think Tom Thibodeau is still a top quality defensive <laughs> assistant. Yeah. But the idea that they've already had these conversations makes it seem like this is something he wants to do, you know? Definitely, and and with with Tibbs, he makes a lot of sense in theory because. The one downside of Ty Lue's uh, tenure with the Cavs was that defensive, his defensive reputation. And in his defense, especially that last year with the Cavs, he had the likes of Isaiah Thomas, Derrick Rose, uh, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade. Yeah, it didn't exactly have the personnel to be a defensive powerhouse, but... Um, that being said, uh, again, if you had to pick one flaw in, in Ty Lue's uh, coaching tenure with the Cavs, it is going to be that def- defense. And in theory, Tom Thibodeau evens that out. But uh, as you mentioned, I think his name has has lost a little weight in the NBA throughout the years, especially with his last stint with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, I wouldn't mind. I mean, as as far as associate head coaches go, I think Thibs as far as available guys isn't terrible. He's mm-hmm. probably, I mean, I think you can argue that he's the best on the market. Uh, but yeah, I, I, that did interest me. And I think you wrote a really fantastic column on this for silver screen and roll. Um, the key to the next head coach isn't just going to be the guy they hire. It's going to be the assistance they bring on as well. And people believe, for that reason that Monty Williams is actually the favorite um, over Tyron Lue because of how long he's been in the league uh, with the Pelicans during his time with the Spurs uh, in the front office with team USA, OKC most recently with Philly, he's been around the block and there's a sense of optimism among Lakers fans that he'll be able to bring in uh, a, a quality bench or, you know, fill out his bench with, with quality coaches. Yeah, that's something actually I hadn't thought of much with Monty. Like people around the NBA absolutely love this guy. Right. And I I mean, it was obviously a terrible situation when his wife passed a few years back. And I remember mm-hmm. watching him deliver that eulogy at the the service for his family. And it the the amount of people that were there from the NBA family to support him because the types of relationships he's built around the league, like I don't think that goes understated. Right. Because we have, you know, other members of the front office who have less than ideal relationships with some other executives. <laughs> yeah. 
And people love Monty Williams. And like you said, he's been around the league. He's been in very successful front offices in San Antonio and Oklahoma City. And the idea that he could attract capable talent to filling out the bench is not something I'd really considered, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and I just the... hate thinking about <laughs> Ty Lu and Tom Thibodeau, like these two Doc Rivers favorite assistants, <laughs> like sitting across the bench. Like, well, Doc Rivers is on the other side of town. <laughs> shout out to uh, to Doc and the Clippers, by the way. What a what a hell of a first round by them that they put on taking uh, taking the Warriors as far as they did. I mean, who would have thought? As, as soon as they tra- traded Tobias Harris at the trade deadline, I thought, well, that's a playoff spot that opened up for some team in the Western Conference, if not the Lakers. Um, right. As we found out, that was not the case. Nope. Not only because the Lakers sucked, uh, but because the Clippers played really, really well. They just got better. Yeah. And the Lakers didn't. They got like a lot worse. I think they ended the season after the All-Star break with either the worst defensive rating in the NBA or the second worst. Either way, not great. Um, right, but and- you think about the Clippers and like, Doc Rivers' lead assistant, Rex Kalamian, is this guy they brought in specifically for defense. And the way they, you know, tempered Golden State's offense was relatively impressive, you know? Yeah. And that's that's the kind of thing you have to be looking for, especially, like, if you have someone like Lou who's known for his offensive side. There has to be a yin and yang on the coaching staff to balance out his strengths. And even if Thibodeau's not the name I would go for, the idea that he's still thinking about this and that the Lakers are forcing their coaching candidates to, you know, make a thorough presentation about everything they do is, is a good start. It's good process. Yeah. The, my favorite part about that Monty report uh, was the fact that he was reportedly impressed by the team's front office. <laughs> and I think that's the first report we've heard ever about, at least in that regard uh, of our, of the Lakers front office is that somebody was impressed by the job that they do because there's a there's a sense of pessimism around the Lakers front office right now and I'm not sure if it's unwarranted because man things aren't looking great right now wait did Monty mean like the physical like office space (laughs) of the front office I mean that would make more sense that that seems logical right context matters yeah nice place to work (laughs) (laughs) it's uh because right now to recap the the hope at the time, like when this all started, the assumption was that a somebody in the organization left, uh, and him being Magic Johnson, he should probably be replaced because that position is open, and so then you started getting, yeah, right, and so then you started getting the shadow executive conspiracy theory that the Lakers had somebody on a playoff team checking off on all of their moves behind the scenes. People bought into that. People love the shadow executive theory. (laughs) I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had with random Laker fans about speculation about the shadow executive that just go all over the place. Yeah. And I don't blame them because it's at that point, you're just holding on to like a sliver of optimism because it's been radio silence on that end since magic left. Like they have been in conversations with absolutely no one. And we found out as the weeks have gone on. And even then, honestly, uh, that Rob Palenka is their guy. Like 
that's who they're rolling with going forward. And I mean, you know, for better, for better or worse, that's, that's the situation they're in right now. Exactly. And uh, I mean, if Rob Palenka is going to be leading the head coaching search, which he clearly is, right. then it only makes sense that he will be the guy who wields the power for the upcoming season because we can't have this situation again where the head coach is hired and then new management is put in place. And, oh, no, now they don't like the coach because he's not their guy. Like, it just can't happen again. Right. It's a terribly awkward situation all year. And if, if Rob's our guy, you know, we should just get on board with it. Is there a reason to be optimistic about like why Palenka would be the guy for the Lakers? Like what sets up? Cause I, I think any optimism I had of, of Palenka as a head coach was thrown out the window when a report came out that some NBA executives believe that Rob Palenka has been just he, he's been doing things this entire time. Like Magic Johnson's president of basketball operations was more symbolic than anything. Right. While Rob, well, even when Magic was there, Rob was handling the day-to-day basketball operations. And mm-hmm. it's like when you look when you put it when you look at it that way, you, at that point you're pinning all the the wrongdoings of this Lakers season on Rob Palenka. And if that's the case, if this last season was the the product of Rapalinka's basketball decision making, I I don't know. I I don't feel good about this in general. Like all I'm I'm you can't see me, but I'm gesturing towards <laughs> all of this. Like everything the Lakers got going on, I it just doesn't scream championship contender by next season to me. Right. Well, we can't only judge Rob on this last season because he and Magic were installed in February of 2017. And there were a lot of things that happened in between that period and when the Lakers signed LeBron James that I think reflected a well-run front office. That's true. I'll give like, you that. you know, trading away Lou Williams to get a first-round pick. I liked that at the time. Um, drafting, you know, Kuzma, Hart, and Lonzo in 2017. Liked all those. <laughs> mm. Don't forget um, our our Lord and Savior Thomas Bryant. He was also Lord part of that draft. <laughs> yeah, that that always really bugged me. Like if they were going to trade the twenty eighth pick down for thirty and forty one, and then you just dump the forty first pick, like, <laughs> then why trade down? We could have had Derek White. Oh man, could have been a look. <laughs> that the draft. I mean, last year's draft really bugs me too because um, the Lakers had a shot at Chamet and they didn't oh take God. it. And DeAnthony Melton. And Mitchell Robinson, and it's the list goes on and on. Every like, I don't know. I don't want to say everybody know knew Mo was a reach there. But I certainly knew, and everybody I followed was was a little puzzled by that pick. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. The I I think people are still holding on to hope that they're going to bring somebody from the outside in. But as people that have covered the team for the past few years, like you and I, Sabrina, that's that's just not how the Lakers have operated for, for several years now. They don't look from the outside. No, that's that's really not their style. I mean, the only reason Rob Palenka is in this position is because he was Kobe Bryant's agent. So I guess the best case scenario is that, you know, he gets elevated to president of basketball operations and then they hire some young up-and-coming guy to be the new GM. Um, unless, of course, they decide that 
Jesse Buss or, you know, Ryan West is capable of that responsibility. Right. But they, they can't have him doing both of those jobs because I mean, I guess in theory he was doing both of those jobs and it was a disaster last year. Right. So there just needs to be more support in the front office. Like you look at all of these successful organizations around the league and they just have deep, deep front offices, just like deep benches of guys, lots of voices in the room because that makes them more productive. Yeah. And that, that was my biggest concern with Rob Palenka when it was announced that he might be stepping into a larger role within the organization, because the early reports coming out on Rob weren't very flattering. I mean, there were reports that he was a really difficult guy to work with around the league. The guys didn't like talking to him um, that during the Anthony Davis trade talks that people preferred to speak to magic um, just not glowing things being said about him. But the most concerning thing to me uh, was the report from, I believe it was Dave McManaman um, said on ESPN that Rob was kind of worked like a lone wolf, like the likes of Jesse bus, Joey bus, Ryan West, um, the guys that I think Lakers fans largely attribute to that, that draft that they had with Lonzo Coos and Hart, mm-hmm. um, you know, just finding these gems late in the draft that he was shutting those guys out that he, like to work kind of by himself and in order to be a good basketball team you can't be that kind of person and you know but from from what we've heard he was he also operated like that as an agent so that pattern of behavior doesn't exactly scream um you know somebody that can lead a basketball team because you can't lead a basketball team by yourself as as much as you know, as much as you try, it's just it's very much mama mentality. <laughs> You're right. No straight shooter. Um, it's going to be tough. If, if he, if, sorry, go on. It, it's it's, it's going to be tough for, for him to operate like that. But I, I guess the bright side is that, um, you know, the, the most recent reports are that Jesse and Joey are both going to be part of that coaching search, or at least they were with the second interviews with, uh, Monty, Ty, and then the first interview with Jawan Howard, which why why was like the full spread brought out for Jawan in his first interview, you think? I have no idea because it's not like they had scheduling conflicts with Jawan Howard. He's not the one who's in the playoffs right now. <laughs> that makes no sense to me. Somebody brought up the point that because he kind of already knew Rob from their time at Michigan. Which was that- like 25 years ago. 30 years ago. That they wouldn't need that one-on-one interview, but I don't know. That was weird to me. And I think Jawan Howard, I don't think he is going to get serious consideration for that position. Like, Mm -hmm. I think we've mentioned that Monty and Ty are their guys, but I mean, he's certainly not unqualified. Like, you look at his, especially as as a defensive coach, the Miami Heat, even after LeBron James left, have had like a top 10 defensive team in each of the last, few seasons like because of him and he also has a background in player development which would help for obvious reasons with the lakers but um yeah i thought thought that was i thought that was weird that yeah he's the kind of guy where like you he's the the type of name you want is that lead defensive assistant you know right if he were willing to leave miami to you know come into that position but which would be great but yeah again (laughs) i think i think we cleared it up the other day because it's confusing when you go on my the Miami Heat's website. It just says defensive coordinator, and uh, like 
I was going to say player developer, but that doesn't sound like an official NBA title. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, but I think he is, I think we did clear up that he was Miami's lead assistant. So uh, I don't think he's going to leave Spoh's bench to come to the dumpster fire that is in Los Angeles. Um, but then the good again, news. No. Yeah. I just think Go it's ahead. a good idea to interview people. Like I think the athletic mentioned this the other day that just, it's not necessarily that you're interviewing people for the express purpose of hiring them. You know, it's also just to like build relationships for down the road or, you know, get in good with agents or just get an idea of how people operate on other franchises. Right. Yeah. So the fact that the search is extending to Miami, I think is just another good sign of the process. Even if like Linda and Kurt Ramos are also involved. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I think the the main thing you have to look at is that the Lakers are it's it's without a doubt they're operating better with their head coaching search than they have in I I want to say a decade. That might sound a little preposterous, but No, I, mean, I think this you're is, correct. This is the best process they've had in in over a decade when it comes to looking for a head coach. It's just the people that are orchestrating that process I think you can argue aren't the best people for it, especially when there was a guy like David Griffin available at the time. And, um, you know, the fact that they didn't even reach out to him mm-hmm. is, is a little concerning to me. It, it, it just makes me feel like all these decisions have been made with somebody's best interests in mind. And I think when you look at the Lakers and who's in charge right now, it, it comes down to Jeannie. I think the, a large, a large part of the reason Rob Palenka still has his job is because Jeannie Buss looked at Rob Palenka and said, look, magic left and you stood by me and we're an organization that rewards loyalty. And the, your former client is somebody that was with the organization for 20 years. So we might as well give you a shot because we stick with our guys. And I think that's been their fatal flaw for the past several years. And uh, right now, as we mentioned, there's no reason to be optimistic about about how that's going to pay off for them. Well, at the very least, you know, uh, LeBron James seems like he's okay with everything that's happening. <laughs> Which um, is good. Yeah, you know, like you hear all about GM LeBron and Coach LeBron, and he's kind of taken a back seat in terms of how much influence he's exerting in these processes. So... I mean, I don't know if we should take it as a sign that LeBron is disinterested in what's happening and he's just sort of playing out the clock with this Laker contract. Right. Or if he legitimately still has faith in Rob Valenka and belief in the Lakers' ability to get things done. Where that belief comes from is, I, I would love to know. <laughs> yeah, because I'd like some as well. <laughs> yeah, just, you know. He um, looked pretty happy in that Instagram story. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that worries me the most is, like, you can't fault LeBron James. Well, I'm sorry. You can fault LeBron James for being cautiously optimistic, but Lakers fans certainly aren't mad about LeBron not wanting to push the eject button um, mm-hmm. just yet. The biggest thing for me, though, is when does that come? At what point does LeBron say, oh, man, like even I, arguably the greatest player to walk this planet, mm-hmm. um, can't fix this franchise on my own? Yeah, I mean, I. I just hope we don't get to that point, Christian. <laughs> well, I mean, but but where where if if you were LeBron James, where would that point start for you? I think or will it, have uh, already started with 
with the team's president of basketball operations resigning because he didn't like to do his job anymore. Well, I mean, if we're operating under the assumption that he didn't even really do his job, now he just <laughs> gets to be a Lakers ambassador just like he was without the tampering fines that come with it. And tweets what he wants. Don't exactly. forget that. <laughs> the, the supremely dull Twitter account that found the magic shots. <laughs> Um, I think that point for me could potentially come this summer. I, I don't think what they do in the draft ultimately matters to LeBron because True. if we're being real, when has LeBron James ever cared about a rookie except maybe Shabazz Napier? I was just about to say that. <laughs> I think that that was probably the last guy LeBron was all in on. And then he um, peaced to Cleveland right after they drafted him. <laughs> um, so we we got that. I don't think that has any bearing on LeBron's trust with the organization, which is fine. From what we know, everything is fine. Dot gif. Um, but I think that could change very quickly if they don't get things right in free agency. And right now, unless I'm mistaken, unless I'm being fooled by the quote unquote mainstream media that, that says that the Lakers aren't going to sign anybody in free agency, um, there's a very realistic scenario that the Lakers are going to strike out uh, on all the big name free agents this summer. Yeah, I think um, if they strike out on the big name ones, you know, like the Kawhi, Kyrie, Kevin Durant level, I think LeBron can still have faith in the front office, provided that they react and pivot better than they did last year. You know, like there's there's a middle ground to building this team that doesn't just involve one year meme team vets. You know, I completely agree. So we and went it, entirely it, in one direction last year. <laughs> and this is the year to do it, too, because it not only are there a handful of big name guys available at, in terms of superstars, mm-hmm. but when you look at guys to fill out your bench, this free agent class is rich. Yeah, deep. guys that just get it done. Like Danny Green, you know, right. How well would he fit next to LeBron James? <laughs> I was going to say, is that your one? Because <laughs> it, made it, it made it sound like you were going to start a list, and then you said, like, Danny Green, and I was waiting for the rest. But <laughs> honestly, I'd be okay with just Danny Green. If Danny Green was our home run hit, like our lone home run hit of next season, then so be there's it. guys, you know, like Miritich or Bogdanovich, you know, um, four o- spacers who make sense. Ogie's going to be pretty expensive, man. I don't know. Um, He's not making that much money right now. <laughs> I, not right now, but I, he was like, like one of the league leaders in three-point percentage, wasn't he? True. True. He's pretty good. I still think guys that come out of Indiana are a little undervalued, so there's a market there. Um, it, of, of all the free agents, if you had a guess right now, and mm-hmm. this is a game I like to play every week as kind of a litmus test as to where Lakers fans' morale is, um, of all the players that are going to hit free agency next summer, if you had a guess, the most realistic chance they have at anybody, who would you say it is? Jimmy Butler. That's probably true. And yeah, we have this Jimmy Kemba argument a lot, you know, in the silver screen mentions. <laughs> and I think it, either one is a perfectly valid outcome for this offseason. And what it boils down to ultimately is like, are Lakers fans okay with that being the end game uh, for lack of a better term of (laughs) the D'Angelo Russell trade? Jimmy Butler is a better player than D'Angelo Russell. So I agree. I agree. I, I just don't think 
I from from the people that are in my mentions constantly, I don't know if all of the Lakers fan base agrees, which is hilarious. But um, uh, it's remarkable that 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 was my first Endgame reference. The biggest challenge of recording this <laughs> podcast when I found out I was going to record it today was not spoiling Endgame. I feel like Mark Ruffalo, like anywhere he's anytime he's in front of a microphone, just constantly not trying to spoil the movie. <laughs> But I will say it's very good. And Sabrina, I think you saw it too. Yes, and I saw it on Friday I'd, too. I hope you you agree with the assessment because I thought it was quite beautiful. I thought you were going to say your biggest challenge was not being able to carve out another three hours to see it again. Uh, <laughs> no, no, That's no. no. What's I've seen it twice my already. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it twice. I had to ask uh, our boss, Harrison Fagan, to cover for me yesterday for three hours because I needed to see it again. And honestly... I think it might have been better the second time. It's but, so uh, good. <laughs> yeah, super, super, super duper good. Um, and that's probably the best part of the Like, that's the only... I, that movie is going to get me through whatever comes this offseason. Like, <laughs> I, I tweeted or I, I, I sent in the group chat on our Slack, this movie needs to be really, really good. Because if it's not, I don't know how I'm going to make it through the summer. And it <laughs> gave me... Seeing it now twice, I think I can make it through whatever comes the Lakers way this summer. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking um, of movies, I really oh, like yeah. what you wrote on silver screen the other day about uh, the Adam McKay showtime project that might be in the works. Yeah, that's great. And I'm super stoked for it. I know, I know people have mixed feelings about the whole scripted drama series, um, like just things in general, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm, I'm super looking forward to it. Cause I'm a really big fan of, of Adam McKay. Yeah, I loved um, Vice and Big Short, and I'm just already, like, imagining what sort of interstitials that he's going to throw <laughs> in. <laughs> it's going to be good, I think. Um, I made a few, I want to say, ambitious choices uh, for for the cast. And mind you, I was on a Marvel binge when I wrote <laughs> it. Uh, so I do have Chadwick Boseman playing Magic Johnson, and... I know you're a really big fan of that third good Marshall movie that he was in, as am I. Uh, but the movie I cited that I that I as my reasoning as to why he'd be a good Magic Johnson is that he played James Brown. And I think from a persona standpoint, James Brown and Magic Johnson are pretty similar. Just guys with effortless swagger all of the time. Um so I think I think it'd be a solid choice. Yeah, I think Chadwick Boseman has pretty much cornered the market on like exceptional African American figures. <laughs> Yeah, because so, he played. Who who else did he play? He played Jackie Marshall, Robinson. Jackie Robinson, right? James Brown. <laughs> That's crazy. Good so, for him. I mean, Secure the bag, Chadwick like, Boseman. Yeah, the the aura that is Magic Johnson. Like you, you gotta have Chadwick Boseman playing him, right? There's just no <laughs> way saw, around it. <laughs> I saw uh, who's who's the uh, who's Finn from from Star Wars. I can't think of his name right now. Oh yeah, um, John Boyega. Right, right. I saw I saw his name thrown in the mix, but uh, I just haven't seen anything from him to make me believe that he can emulate that that energy Magic Johnson brings. Um, do, do you have any names that you throw in the mix? I mean, I was just thinking of like the big, you know, African American actors, and like I was having this conversation the other day. Actually, uh, like Michael B. Jordan is way too short. I don't think he has that energy either. <laughs> right. Um, same with like John David Washington. Like he's got some, you know, spunk, but like he's also very short. <laughs> Yeah, and that's going to be the toughest part with these are real considerations, right? And it's going to take some movie magic for them 
to look like an actual basketball team. Like all basketball courts and baskets are going to have to be to scale, like right. like a mini scale for it to look realistic. <laughs> um, Michael B. Jordan would be interesting, and but no no offense to Magic Johnson, but Michael B. Jordan's like very 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 attractive, and I, I get Magic <laughs> Magic Johnson had it going on during his day to some degree. But he he just doesn't do it for me the well, way. Point about Jordan the implications does. of what this means for Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I like, you know, I think he's right there. I guess uh, he's not on the Michael B. Jordan scale, though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely not. My girlfriend yeah. and I were having this conversation after Endgame yesterday. She argues that he's right there, neck and neck with Michael B. Jordan. Uh, absolutely not. Let this be the hill I die on. Um, <laughs> The, the the rest of the cast you look at trying to fill out is I will say Pat. your Pat Riley is spot on. Like it yeah, and I has to be Christian Bale. I think there are a number of guys that can probably pay, play Pat Riley, but Adam McKay really, really likes Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. The same way Rob Polinka really likes Mike Muscala. Um and Mitch Kupchak really likes Timothy Mozgov. Can you believe Mitch traded like he went out of his way? To reacquire Mozgov. They said that was an untradable contract and it has been moved at least three times. And nobody nobody had to give up a uh, number two overall pick. I mean, somebody had to take back Dwight. And, That's worse. Yeah, and and Biombo, I believe. Um, also worse. Yeah. Um so yeah, Christian Bale would be super dope. Um, it's just funny. I was thinking about like his Golden Globe speech where he says, like, you know, maybe I can play like an even more despicable person than <laughs> Cheney next time. But I don't think Pat Riley is really that. No, uh, yeah. From what I've heard, he's a he's a pretty pleasant fellow. Yeah. Um, I think what's funny though is that I always forget that uh, that Christian Bale is English. Like yeah, every time he, he opens his mouth, when he speaks it, that it, Welsh it, accent, right? <laughs> right. It comes it comes as an absolute surprise to me. Um, and again, my my last pick for the cast. Yeah which I think is going to be a pretty central part of the movie is Jerry Buss. Um, and again, I was on a Marvel binge, so forgive yeah. me. Uh, but I had Robert Downey Jr. playing Jerry Buss because I think you can, I mean, other than the brains with no offense to the late, great uh, um, Jerry Buss, um, like from a persona standpoint, early Tony Stark is basically uh, Jerry Buss. What's funny is like the picture that you posted on Silver Screen Roll of Robert Downey Jr. gives me some very odd Dr. Jerry Buss vibes. Yeah, There's it's the glasses. There. Yeah, it's it's definitely the glasses, and I went out of my way to pick that picture for yeah, that it's reason. Very well done. <laughs> and then the last one was kind of a joke, but not really. Um, it's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar <laughs> using anti-aging CGI. Um, <laughs> Because there's nobody that looks like Fury. right. There's nobody that looks like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar other than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, unless somebody goes experience, right? Right. Yeah, an airplane. <laughs> that's a that's a really that's like a iconic comedic moment. Like I love that movie, but I also really love that scene. Um, I'm just thinking uh, about what sort of movie magic you'd have to do if you have like a six foot person playing Magic Johnson <laughs> and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar playing himself. It's and, hey man, I saw Endgame. They did some pretty crazy stuff. They can do cinema some stuff, has, yeah. yeah, cinema has taken a, a pretty big step. So I, I believe it. I think it can be done. Uh, do you have any suggestions, Sabrina? Parting suggestions for 
who can fill out the rest of the cast. So, I mean, I think we need a genie bus, right? Right. I know I um, Harrison Fagan suggested that uh, Margot Robbie would be a good genie bus. Again, I go back, and no offense to genie, but I go back <laughs> to that attractiveness argument. And I don't know, man. Everybody I think you got to keep it realistic. in the movies, Christian. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. Oh, my God. There's a, there's a few movies I was... Oh, I saw the trailer for that Elton John movie. Mm-hmm. And... You know, Elton John was all right in his day, but he's certainly no Taron Egerton. He's not. And I think the fact that he's an executive producer for the movie probably has a big part of the reason as to why such an attractive man is playing him. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it it looks good. Um, And I hope they take at least one of my suggestions, especially that Chadwick Boseman one. I can't picture anybody else playing him. I'd be much happier Uh, with Christian Bale's Pat Riley. I think that's the one that I'm really going to stick with. Well, let's hope. Oh, God. What did Grant say before we go? Um, oh, Samuel Jackson, if they use the same technology they used in Captain, in Captain Marvel, Marvel, he could play Michael Cooper. And I completely agree. Oh, that's I think that would be wonderful. <laughs> uh, Sabrina, thank you for topping on this pod and being uh, our guinea pig for for this crossover event. I guess we're doing yes. the most ambitious crossover event in cinema history. Yep. Uh, is there anything you want to say before we go? No, you know, just uh, looking forward to whatever info dumps the Lakers give us this week. Hell yeah. Go Lakers. Be See careful you who you CC on your emails, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right.